going to look in two places. First of all, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, and then Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I'm doing this, uh, this series, it's really kind of a follow-on to the series, The Kingdom is at Hand. I call it The King Has Come, and each one of the Sundays of Advent here, I'm going to focus on a prophecy of the Old Testament that applies to Jesus' life and reveals something of the kingship of Jesus. So it's not just about his birth, but it shows us something about what he is going to be like as our king, what was prophesied, what we can expect, and who he actually is. Uh, So that's what uh, we'll be looking at uh, these these next few weeks. By the way, looking forward... Uh, I think for the end of this month into January, uh, I'll be talking about uh, the word of the Lord for us as a church uh, for the coming year. And I think there's some really interesting things I'm excited about that uh, I think the Lord is going to be revealing for us. And I was talking with somebody uh, last week when I was in the States, and uh, they were commenting when I told them that I was going to fly overnight and get into church on on Sunday morning, and, and my desire was to be here in time for service, you know, they commented and, and said, well, you know, perhaps you need some more leaders. And, uh, and actually, as I reflected on that, I, you know, it was just kind of a throwaway comment, but actually, as I reflected on that, it's like, well, no, we got plenty of leaders here. Uh, for me, it's, I don't want to be away on a Sunday from my church family unless I absolutely have to be. Uh, So for me, it was exciting to be able to make it back and be with my church family because on a Sunday morning, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be in some other weird church somewhere that's doing stuff that, you know, I may or may not like or listen to some boring preacher. You know, I'd rather put myself to sleep than, you know, somebody else put me to sleep. So, okay, you should have laughed at that, I I think. Uh, All right, now I'm worried. Anyway, so Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah 7, enough of that. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shares Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set upon the son of Tabeel as king, set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. 
If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, uh, of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not, be, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we go into Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. A number of years ago, I devised a uh, kind of a tool uh, to help me to discern a little bit better, you know, the the people that I should trust, the people that I should work with, uh, the people that I should look to when, I, when I'm in a crisis, when I really need some support. And I really came up with a, uh, a two-fold dynamic, that people should be both with me and for me, with me and for me. And this has really served me quite well, and it would probably serve you quite well as well, uh, in looking at the, the people that I want to have around me, the people that I really trust, the people that I can really be open with, and I try to be open with everybody, but the people I know I can be open with and not you know, regret it later in some way, shape, or form. The idea is that you want people who first really are with you. In other words, they're present with you. Uh, I have a lot of people who like me who live in the United States, uh, and even though I trust them, I don't have an ongoing relationship with them. And for many of them, uh, with some crises I could turn to them, but for many of them, I couldn't really turn to them in a crisis. People need to be with me. But as we all know, not everybody that is with us is for us. You know, I learned a long time ago in ministry, strangely enough, that in any church, and I've seen this in probably every church that I've seen in my life, no matter how great the pastor is, even if the pastor was Jesus Jr., uh, it's kind of true that you can't count on everybody who is in your church on any given Sunday to actually be for you. They might be with you, 
But some people are with you because they want to see you fall. You know, some people are with you because they want to see you mess up. Some people are with you because they're looking for that opportunity to stick a knife in your back and have their way with you. Uh, and so you have to be careful because not everybody that's with you is for you. But at the same time, you can have a lot of people who are for you that aren't with you. And it's great, you know, around London, City Temple has a lot of people who are for City Temple. I talk to leaders, uh, others all the time, who want the best for City Temple, who know the reputation of City Temple and say, yeah, we hope City Temple succeeds, we hope they grow, we hope it flourishes. But obviously, even if they're for us, if they're not with us, there's not a whole lot they can do about that. So there's that dynamic of being with you and for you that is really, really important for us as we navigate our friendships. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be friends with somebody who's not with you. I've got lots of friends, uh, like I say, around the world. And that doesn't mean that you can't be friends with somebody who's not for you. Uh, I've had a lot of people who didn't really want God's best for me, but I can still be friends with them and have good relationships and things like that. But for the closest, for real dependence on other people, for real trust, we need people who are with us and for us. Now, where does that come in here? We also need a God who is with us and for us. You know what? In a lot of religions of the world, that is not God. You think about Islam, for example. In Islam, Allah is not with people. Allah, Islam teaches that Allah is totally transcendent, totally separate, and is not really with people. Now that's okay if you have a totally transcendent God who's for you, but the problem with Islam is you never know if God's really for you or not. You could turn up at the gates of eternity and find out that suddenly God changed his mind. Maybe for a long time he was for you, but uh, you did something to tick him off right before you died, and okay, sorry, game over. That's it. You know, if you go to, say, Buddhism, that believes in kind of like a divine energy, divine force in the universe, you have a God who is neither with you nor for you. All you need to do, the goal is to eventually to extinguish yourself in the midst of this with you and for you. In, in, in uh, Hinduism, if you're following the law of karma, how do you know if you've ever done enough good? There are a lot of people who depend to say, hey, I, I, I depend that my good outweighs my bad, but you can never know that. You can never know if any of the 30 million or so different gods of Hinduism are really with you or for you. It's a real challenge here. In Christianity, it is the only religion in the world where we know that God is really with us and God is really for us. And that's a powerful, powerful dynamic. And it's all encapsulated in this word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. The title for Jesus, Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel, which means literally God is with us. But the implication of the word there is God is with us and God is for us. 
Now this all came about, if you look in the text there that we read from Isaiah, and most people don't know the context of that, you have King Ahaz. Uh, Israel at this time was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom had really departed from God uh, long since, long before this time. Uh, and many times, the, uh, I mean, the northern kingdom had really departed from God. I think I just said the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had really departed from God. The southern kingdom, on and off, was trying to follow the Lord, although ultimately they will depart from the Lord as well. And so the northern kingdom, also known as Ephraim, uh, starts to work together with Syria and Damascus uh, to come against the southern kingdom to plunder it, to take some of its wealth and things. The problem was the southern kingdom was where the temple was, and so the northern kingdom always resented the southern kingdom because they had the temple, which was the heart of biblical Judaism. And so they're going to come against them. Ahaz, here, you kind of get the picture. This guy's a bit of a worrywart. He's filled with anxiety. He's filled with uncertainty. He hears the, this panic. and He's like, oy vey, they're coming against us. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. I just know we're going to die. It's going to be terrible. And so God says, okay, Isaiah, take your son. Go give him a word and say, hey, you're not going to die. Don't worry. The northern kingdom is going to cease to exist within 65 years, which actually happened. Uh, Syria is going to have its own problems. That all, of, all that Isaiah prophesied actually came to pass. They never were able to conquer the southern kingdom. But he gives them this word. And you can even get the picture that even though the prophet of God has come and spoken to him, he's still not quite believing it because the prophet at the end of his word says, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And then the prophet, God sends the prophet and says, okay, if you don't believe me, and clearly you don't, ask for a sign. Now, frankly, folks, I think Ahaz was really foolish at this point. I mean, if God asks you for a sign, go for it. I mean, if God appeared to me, if the prophet came in and said, ask me for a sign, I'd say, oh, Lord God, let me win 100 million pounds in the lottery. I mean, that's a pretty good sign. I'd go for that sign, right? You know, that, that that's kind of would be one of the top of my list. Uh, you know, another sign might be that the church is full, but actually I'd probably pick the 10 million pounds first and then buy people to fill the pews. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, pay people to come in. I, I don't know. I'd be tempted. But, you know, if God asks you for a sign, for a sign, and what does Ahaz do? He says, no, no, I don't want to test the Lord. You know, I don't want to challenge the Lord. And it's like, dude, God just asked you for a sign. Go for this. But he doesn't. And in a sense, we can all probably be thankful that he doesn't go for a sign. Because then Isaiah prophesies a sign for us. Okay, since you're not going to ask for a sign, and notice he doesn't get this sign in his lifetime. Uh, there's no scholar that has been able to point to a fulfillment of an event in Ahaz's lifetime that would have been a fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, so he says, here's your sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And this was a prophecy about Jesus who was coming. This was a prophecy for us, and the sign is for us. You see, 
Ahaz needed to know that he had a God who was with him and who was for him. And even though Isaiah was prophesying this, Ahaz wasn't picking up the message. And so God prophesied through Isaiah the message that is true for all of us in Jesus that was fulfilled when the king has come, that is, the king, Jesus, would be Emmanuel, God with us. And as Christians, because of the coming of Jesus, because of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and we believe he's coming again, but because of this reality, we can have confidence that God is with us and God is for us. God is with us and God is for us. But what does this mean? What does it mean to say that God is with us in Jesus? Well, first of all, it means that God has united himself with our humanity. We don't have a God who is distant. We don't have a God like Islam who says, I'm totally transcendent, I'm totally separate from you. I'm totally divorced from your reality. And in a sense, I don't really care what happens to you because I'm above all of that. We have a God who has united himself with our humanity. He's united himself with our weakness. He didn't sin, but he's united himself with our weakness. But even though he hasn't sinned, notice we also have a God who identifies himself with the scandal of our humanity. I mean, think about this. Joseph, Mary's pregnant. They haven't had sex. What, what's your solution here? The girl has had sex with somebody who's not betrothed to her. Now, betrothal, by the way, uh, in those days was just like being married, although the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. So if you had sex, once you were betrothed, it was like committing adultery. And you'd still have to be divorced. And so Joseph says, I'm going to divorce her quietly because this gal, she's pregnant outside of marriage. And God says, hey, don't do that because this is who he really is. And Joseph says, okay, I'll marry her. But friend, people can count. I mean, there would have been people who said, okay, wait a second. Now they hurried up that betrothal to the marriage. Normally that takes a year or two. And now, you know, it's just a month or two. And, and wait, wait, wait a second here. Okay, Mary's pregnant? Oh, what, what? Okay, she's giving birth at seven months after they're married? Okay, there's something going on here. That's a scandal. And Jesus, when he united himself with our humanity as God with us, he united himself with that scandal of humanity. That would have followed him his whole life. Oh, this guy that came out of this un, unmarried pregnancy. Also, as he does this, God locates himself within our history. God enters our timeline. He learns what it, lives, what it means to live as a time-bound person. You know, God, as God, is infinite. That means he is timeless. He's eternal. He doesn't know time, but he entered our time as God with us. And as God with us, he took on our specificity. And let me explain that a little bit. 
You know, we often think that, okay, the culture of Jesus, that was really distant, that was really far away. You know, why did he have to be born in Jewish culture at that particular time? And doesn't that mean that Jesus is rather distant from us? And actually, no, it doesn't. It means that Jesus entered culture just like every single one of us has entered culture. We are born in a particular culture. We speak a particular first language. That defines how we think. That defines how we live. It defines how we see the world. And Jesus didn't come as somebody who was above all of that. He came as somebody who entered that. So he understands our limitations. He understands our weaknesses. He understands the way we think. He understands the way we look at the world. He understands the way we interact. He understands all of these things intimately so that he can take his place with us. God does not stand over us. God stands with us in Jesus Christ. He is not somebody who is distant. He is always somebody who is near. Even in the midst of our pain and our difficulties. He's somebody who understands those things. He's not a God distant from those things. He's a God who enters into that. I mean, we had this, the, the tragedy of life lost just this last week, just a few days ago there at London Bridge. And we might say, where was God in all of that? But we know where he was. He was standing alongside people. He's entered their pain. He's entered their heartache. We don't understand why these things happen. And that why question, you know, is not going to be answered on this side of eternity. But we do understand that we have a God who is with us even in the darkest moments of our lives, even in the darkest places of our lives, even when you feel most alone, God is with us. And Jesus is the promise. He is the demonstration of this reality. Now, that's pretty extraordinary in and of itself until we start to realize that not only is God with us, God is for us. God is for us. God wants our best. He wants the best of every single person. Many people, and I've talked with a number of people who kind of see God as somebody who, who hates sin, and he does hate sin, by the way. God takes sin seriously. But because God hates sin doesn't mean God hates you. And God is God enough to distinguish between the two. God is not a hateful, vengeful God. He is a God who is for his people. He is for all humanity. The scripture says he doesn't want anyone to perish But he wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, do they? No. And many people are lost. Many people walk away. Many people don't experience what God has for them. But that's not God's fault. It doesn't mean that he's not for them. He is still for them even when we don't do what God wants us to do. God is for us. Notice how he comes to us in the least threatening way possible. 
Now imagine if Jesus had shown up there in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago in a Martian spaceship that was shining lights and lasers everywhere and blowing things up. Now, even if God was for us, we would probably be so terrified of that we wouldn't believe it. Now, it's, it's harder for us to imagine that because we see alien spacecraft all the time on television. Uh, but it's, we can't quite put ourselves in that situation. But it's true. If God came to us in an overwhelming way, if he revealed the fullness of his godness to us, uh, we would be overwhelmed by that. So how does he come to us? He comes to us. He becomes incarnate as a baby. I mean, how threatening is a baby? I've not seen any babies, you know, that rise up out of their crib going, Hi-ya! You know, or pick up a sword or something like that. He comes to us as a baby. He comes to us as we all come into this world, which is rather extraordinary. He fully identifies with our human weakness, as I've said. He understands what it's like to be us, and he also understands what it takes to overcome those weaknesses so that we can become fully the people that he wants us to be. God stands with us because he's for us. He stands with us against all of the forces of evil that might come against us. Now, most, many times we might feel overwhelmed by those forces of evil, but believe it, we never really are because God is with us. We might feel part of it sometimes, but we never feel the full force of it because God is for us. He is supporting us. He is strengthening us. He stands with us to protect us. And God, because he's for us, he wants the absolute best outcomes for our lives. And he can bring those about. And he is in the process of bringing those about as we cooperate with him. So God in Emmanuel, God is with us and God is for us. But we need to say one other thing about this. God is with and for us together. You know, it's very popular. I've heard it said a few times. If you were the only person alive, Jesus would have come and died for you. Now that may or may not be true. I don't know because there's more than one person in this world. But actually, I think it's a lot of sentimentality that is not biblically supportable. Jesus came for a people. Jesus died for a people. We are that people. God is with and for us together. And all the blessings that you have in Christ, we have together. There is no blessing in Christ Jesus that you have just for you. Even things like gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why does he do that? He gives you the gift so you can bless us together. Everything is for us together. The blessings that God gives you financially are not just for you. It's for us together. All of the blessings we have in Christ, we have corporately, we have together. And it's important to understand 
because God is with and for us that even when you are alone, you are part of this collective we. I've known a lot of Christians who thought, I've departed from the faith, now I've, I've isolated myself, I've stepped away from, from Christianity, and you're never, you're never alone. Even if you run away, even if you flee, God is with and for us together. And even if you deny it, even if you don't want it, God is with us together. And frankly, you know, come on, let's all be honest. There are some times when we don't want the us part. Right? You know, it's the times when maybe your kids are annoying you that you'd rather, you know, just put them out in the shed in the back garden. Or it's the time when your spouse is annoying you and you'd rather put him out in the shed in the back garden. You know, or the time when the pastor's annoying you and you'd like to put him out in the shed in the back garden. I, I don't know. There's times when we, always, we all want to run away from the us. But the us is part of our reality in Emmanuel. God is with God is for us together. And we must live in this reality. So we need to hear, heed the words of Isaiah. He says, you know, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. We need to be firm in our faith every single day. God is with and for us. Emmanuel, that word, should enliven your faith. Tomorrow, if you go to school, if you go to work, wherever you are in the workplace, God is with us, which means you as well. Wherever you are with your family, God is with us. Wherever you are on the bus, God is with us. And you need to live in that belief, live in that reality, because we live in some really crazy times. And we need to be living in the reality that God is with us and for us, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it. God is with us and for us because, and we can be certain of this because we've seen it in Jesus Christ. Jesus as Emmanuel is the visible demonstration of God with us and for us together. And that is our defining reality And that is a reality that stays because Jesus is king. And he loves us together. And he loves you individually. He is king. He is Emmanuel. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. We do love you and we exalt you. We worship you. Thank you that you are God with us. And you are God for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live in that reality every single day. Remind us when we're really feeling depressed that Jesus, you're Emmanuel, God with us and for us. Remind us when we're in the grip of anxiety, Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us and for us. Remind us when we are in the pressures of work. Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us and for us. Remind us 
we're in the, when we are in the joys of celebrating around table, the real life that we have, that God is with us and for us. We love you and we thank you, we praise you, and we rejoice in this reality. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.